0: time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Timothy exhorts uh, us as churches to preach the word. That's what's about to, to happen. There are many things that go on when God's word is preached. One is that his word is expounded. Our job as preachers is simply to bring out what is there, because the power is in the word preached and nothing else. Something else that happens in preaching is application, and what that means is that the word of God in a particular season, in a particular passage, is brought to bear into the life's of people in a church in a particular context at a particular point in history. And this letter has been on my heart for some time, and I've been wrestling and thinking and praying about it and preaching it over these coming weeks. And we are in a moment in history in this part of the world, Scotland leading the way in the UK. Scotland is a thoroughly secular country. For the first time in half a millennia, the two big institutional churches are collapsing. It's a huge need. And there is the beginnings of a gospel vision and strategy emerging to plant churches, to revitalize churches, to train gospel workers for these churches. And we've just seen it illustrated before our eyes tonight, in God's providence, This letter has a very important and specific application to us in the times in which we live. The third aspect of preaching I'll just highlight is the transformation that happens when the Word of God is preached. And that is a transformation in our hearts and our expectation every time. The word of God is preached, if it's from the Bible, if it's expounding the text, bringing out what's there, is that God will transform our minds, our wills, our consciences, and our loves. Whatever it is we love that is worldly, because Christ is in us by the Spirit, there is a greater love within us for him and his work. So let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we study this letter, you would speak to us each and every one in this church, at this moment in our church's life, at this moment in our country's life. We pray that we would listen well and be open in mind and conscience and will and in the affections and loves to put Christ first. Lord, we pray that each one of us would listen to it as you would want us to listen and respond to this. for there are multiple outworkings of this letter in our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'll stick up a video this week online uh, along the lines of getting our bearings in this letter, but I'll leave that all for now. I want us to get stuck into the text and spend all of our time um, in there tonight. Firstly, verses 1 and 2, what I've called a significant uh, greeting. Let's read them again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ. Timothy, my beloved child, or my son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, at one level, this is just a conventional way to start a letter at the time. Sender's name first, then recipient second, Paul first, then Timothy, then a Christian greeting, grace, mercy, And peace. These opening verses, the opening verses of a New Testament letter, like the last few verses, are no less inspired, no less God's word than the rest. And in truth, they pack a punch. This is a significant greeting from God to us. Now let's look at them in terms of the bit in the middle and the bookends, either side. First the bit in the middle, to Timothy, my beloved child." Timothy is uh, not a child. He is the minister of a local church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a thoroughly worldly city. It is a commercial hub, a port city with connections across the ancient world. It is a center of pagan spirituality and immorality. Paul, the apostle, planted a church there. Timothy is now the minister in leadership along with a number of elders. The apostle Paul is Timothy's uh, mentor and fellow gospel worker. There is a strong bond between them, a deep affection Timothy, my beloved child. Now, the letter is to Timothy, minister of a local church in Ephesus. He is not an apostle. Timothy is not an apostle. He is uh, one of the first generation of Christian ministers after the apostles. To Timothy. To Timothy. Whose names can we slot in alongside him? Roger, Jay, and me for a start. Full time vocational elders and chambers. That's who a minister is a full time elder who serves in a church as their job, their vocation. Timothy has been minister of the church for a number of years. I've been minister here for 15, Roger 7, J 4. So we are under the spotlight. In this book. As are all the elders of Chalmers, Timothy may have been given an overall leadership role in the church, but he leads corporately with all of the elders. We know that from Acts 20 when Paul summoned and spoke to the Ephesian elders. That was before Timothy's appointment. And one of the things that Paul instructs Timothy to do in this letter is appoint others to lead. Elders are elders whether they are vocational or serving alongside other work. The qualifications to be an elder are the same. The key responsibilities are the same. Whose name can we slot in alongside Timothy, Roger, Jay, me, all of the elders? Or someone starting out as a minister or as an elder? Yesterday, I had the privilege of preaching at Alex Warren's commissioning as assistant minister at a church down in england many of you will remember alex and francis from their time here recently craig henry was appointed an elder in chamers he is in the frame too we can slot in the names of people in chamers men and women who have leadership roles like small group leaders Or people leading children and youth work. Or the people training for vocational gospel ministry, men and women. Or people God is calling to serve in a leadership role. Now don't default to think they're under 30. They might be 40 or 50. Or sixty. The local church has the responsibility to identify such people and entrust responsibility to them, but they are always and only people God has called. And remember, these letters, though addressed to Timothy or for the whole church, they would have been read out in a church meeting like we are doing exactly now. And if this is what is expected of leaders in a church or aspiring leaders, we all need to know that, that we might. Now, in the past, I would have said this, hold them accountable. And that is right, isn't it? But now I would say as I get longer in the job to pray for them, that they would keep going and keep faithful to Timothy. Timothy. Now, look at the bookends either side. First, what comes before? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ. Paul is writing to Timothy and us as an apostle. So, this letter is not a minister writing to another minister, it's the apostle Paul writing to Timothy, the first generation of Christian ministers, and all who will follow in his footsteps. The apostles, like Paul, had a special role. They speak for Jesus. What the apostles wrote about Christian ministry is what Jesus says ministry is. What they wrote is authoritative. It is timeless. Now, what's the significance of this? That we are told what to do. Whether it's the first or the 50th or the 100th generation of Christian ministers, the pattern, the priorities are the same. Now that is really important. It might be very challenging to be told what to do when it's hard, but it is wonderfully encouraging and enormously liberating to know what to do. Particularly so in difficult times for the church when we are tempted to try something else, whether because it's easier, less opposed, or because we think it might be the silver bullet. So Timothy, or who? Ever's name we put alongside him. To everyone engaged in Christian ministry. To those who aspire to that in response to the need. To the church in every generation. We know what to do. Because we have the apostles teaching. Not just the content of the gospel, but the patterns and the priorities. Now what comes after? What's the other bookend in the opening greeting? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And what a wonderfully steadying, reassuring, strengthening statement that is. Because the pattern for ministry that Paul will outline in this letter and that we'll study over these coming weeks is daunting. Ministry is a serious business. That is the tone of the letter. But that needs to be balanced or buttressed might be a better word, By what Paul says about how the gospel makes ministry possible. And not just possible, thoroughly so and worthwhile. And not just about worthwhile on balance, but immensely so and joyful. Wonderfully joyful. How is ministry possible? worthwhile and joyful because of grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Timothy, loved. Remember, these are the apostles' words to Timothy, my beloved child, the apostles' words are Jesus' words. So to all in Christian ministry, in that wide sweep of what that means, and to all who aspire in this generation to that calling, my child, my son, daughter, loved by Jesus. So whoever is in the spotlight, your ministry is patterned on the apostles' teaching. You know what to do, and it is buttressed at your back, father, son, and as we'll see, the Holy Spirit All that you need to do it. Second, Paul's thanksgiving to God for Timothy's sincere faith and commitment and example uh, to him. Let's read these verses again, three to five. I thank God who my service did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. What are Paul's first words after the greeting? I thank God. I thank God. This is the apostle acknowledging that behind the apostles is Jesus and God. That everything that Timothy is and all that he has done and accomplished in ministry is the work of God in his life. Now Paul had many reasons to thank God for Timothy, for his partnership in the gospel through some of the toughest times, for Timothy's willingness to go where Paul sent him to Corinth, to Philippi, to Thessalonica, now Ephesus—tough assignments. Yet Timothy willingly went out of concern for these churches. Paul said of Timothy, this is Philippians 2, I have no one like him. No one else who will be as genuinely concerned for your welfare as Timothy. For others seek their own interests, but Timothy never does. Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. Paul has many reasons to thank God for Timothy, but what is the reason he gives here to thank God for Timothy. What is the reason? And this is Paul's final letter, his final letter to Timothy, his final letter to the church. Paul is about to be martyred. What is the reason he gives thanks for in Timothy's life? Is it his great gifts? No, it's his sincere faith. Look at what he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your granny and your mum so ordinary and so powerful and so real, as he brings Timothy back to basics. Before he says anything to him about his ministry, he brings to his mind, Paul's own mind and to Timothy's mind, his sincere faith. Timothy, your faith is real. It is authentic. I'm not going to call you to ministry before I first call you to me. You're a real Christian. At Alex's commissioning service yesterday, the text enabled me to say something that could easily have been unsaid and was a little cheeky to say as I encouraged them that their minister, their new assistant minister, was a Christian. If only that were true. Across our country, I was able to remind them, and we heard it when Alex spoke, that he had received grace and mercy and peace, that the Holy Spirit dwells within him. You are a Christian first, and a Christian minister is a consequence of that. The basis of all you do, Timothy, is your sincere Christian faith. So, Timothy, Whatever you do in ministry, keep feeding your faith, keep growing as a Christian. Never, Timothy, let devotion to the Lord's work surpass your devotion to the Lord. And behind Timothy and behind Alex, the blessing of Christian parents and grandparents who pointed them to Jesus. That is not true for everyone, but for those of us brought up in Christian homes and families, we thank God for that. And for the others who've been a significant spiritual influence in our lives, how thankful we are to God for them. And then we take our turn as grandparents' parents or as an older Christian to teach the next generation about Jesus. So Timothy, or whoever's name is alongside him, someone who's been in ministry, an elder for many years, or someone starting out or aspiring to ministry or feeling that God might be calling them, whatever age they are, attend first to your faith. Keep on growing in your faith. That is the basis for your ministry. So Paul thanks God for Timothy's sincere faith, but also he evidences his commitment and example uh, to him. Now, Paul's commitment to Timothy is clear in the New Testament. He is his mentor. Uh, He teaches him. He prepares him for ministry. He supports him in ministry. And interestingly, then he sends him away. He writes to him to affirm and encourage him, but also to say direct things to him if needs be. And Paul's commitment is to pray for Timothy. He, He writes, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, Prayer is the indispensable component of nurturing another because not to pray is to conclude that we are able to do what we are not able to do and they are able to do what they are not able to do. People in ministry need to be prayed for desperately. Those of us in ministry thank God for the people that pray for us. Please keep praying. And I hope studying this letter over the next few months will inspire us to pray for those in ministry or who will be in ministry and teach us what to pray for them. Paul's commitment to Timothy is also an example to him, and that's a feature of this letter. As Paul exhorts Timothy to a pattern of life that follows his own example, follow my example Uh, Paul uh, says to all who are in Christian ministry of whatever form or aspire to be, follow the apostle's example. Here's a quote from later in the letter. My teaching, the apostle, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And that'll work itself out in the middle of 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he says a Christian minister is a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a worker, a servant, a lover of God. Encourage those you mentor to follow the apostles' example. And listen to your conscience that you might set an example to those who follow you in your own life and ministry. Now, before we move to the third point, verses 6 to 7, and we're remarkably on time tonight. Um, Yesterday at the induction, um, or the welcome, whatever it was called, I was number 17 on the agenda, or the service order, and I was kind of despairing. It was getting to like 10 past four. So I said to them, I said, I will preach no more than 30 minutes, but not a minute less. So they all despaired at that. Right, where are we? Before we go to verses six and seven, I want us to notice something very powerful in this letter. And that is the the deep and genuine affection that uh, Paul has uh, for Timothy and Timothy for Paul. Uh, We saw it in the greeting at the start, my beloved child or my son in the faith." Friendship. Level up from that. Fellowship. Level up from that. Gospel partnership sharing in the joys and the struggles of ministry and entrusting ministry to others. One generation of pastors doing what they can to help the next generation while at the same time being inspired by the next generation to keep going in their generation. I would increasingly get the sense that the younger generation, many of you here tonight are in the younger generations, that's where the clarity is, that's where the the, the zeal and the passion is, inspiring us to keep on. And there are tears. I remember your tears. And there is joy. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy and there is the added poignancy in this letter that Paul although he expressed his longing to see Timothy again that he would not this side of eternity as he knew the end of his life and as events transpired Paul would shortly be martyred how Timothy and the church at Ephesus would have treasured this letter one of the privileges and it is a real privilege that God has afforded us all as a church. It's a costly privilege. is to train and send out gospel workers like Craig. And did we not welcome him with a non-manufactured, genuine affection and love tonight? Yes. National and gospel partners, people like Ali and Noreen. As the years have passed, there are many people invested and trained and sent out, and God willing will be. As a church, thank God for his grace gift to us to know something of the affection of gospel partnership, of tears and of joy. It is a real privilege to have been given that ministry of training and sending as a church to embrace together. Now third, verses 6 and 7. Paul's exhortation to Timothy to fan and to flame the gift to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read these powerful verses. For this reason, because of your sincere faith, faith comes first, faith is the buttress, faith is the undergirding, For this reason, because of your sincere faith, ministers, elders, small group leaders, aspiring to that, whatever age we are, uh, I remind you to fan into flame, to ignite the the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, there are two things in Paul's mind when he writes, firstly, and obviously, the gift that God had given Timothy... And what is that gift? Well, we know what it is from 1 Timothy. Let me read to you a couple of verses from 1 Timothy. This is the end of 1 Timothy. Uh, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect that gift that you have. God has gifted Timothy as a preacher, as a Bible teacher. And of course, that's repeated in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, the climax of this letter. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word, Timothy. That's how God has gifted you. It's not a surprise. Because it is how ministers and elders lead, by preaching and teaching the Bible. Why? Because the person who leads this church, as in every local church, is Jesus Christ How, through his word, how is that manifested Sunday by Sunday when those in leadership as under-shepherds of Christ preach that word and release that word through the life of a church, giving many people responsibilities to teach and preach. The second thing in Paul's mind is the occasion that Timothy was set apart, welcomed as a pastor at Ephesus, when the elders in the church at Ephesus and Paul laid their hands on him. That's what that is about. He's casting Timothy's mind back to that event some years earlier. The kind of event that uh, I was at yesterday with Alex. So, So why then is Paul writing this letter now? A number of years later, because Timothy is neglecting his gift. That's why he says to him, fan into flame the gift of God. Why is he neglecting his gift? He just might not be doing it, perhaps. Why? Because there are a million things that crowd in, in your time. Or maybe he's just not working hard at it anymore. He's not working prayerfully at it. You cannot possess a gift for word ministry and automatically assume it is as be operative, if it's not being fanned into flame prayerfully and diligently. Let me read you a paragraph from a Bible commentator that hit me between the eyes this week. As the the 15-year-in-the-job minister here. Although word ministry never gets easy, we can reach a stage when we start to fake it We become good enough at making it look like we have done the hard work on the text so that the congregation thinks we have actually put in the hard, prayerful work that is required. How real is that? How do you fan into flame the gift of God? If you have a Bible-teaching gift, and there are many in this church do, some have a preaching gift that will issue in the future in ministry, whether full-time or not. How do you fan it into flame? You use it. You use it. Practically, how do you keep working hard at it and prayerfully with the word, don't do it alone? One of God's greatest gifts to his church is corporate leadership. You know, Chalmers is so much safer. Roger and Jay and I are here together. Why? Because we work together at the word of God. Work at it with others. Listen to your conscience. The stakes are high. How high are the stakes? If the word ministry gift that God has given people in this church should burn out or let us be burned out, the word will no longer go out. Now, you think that's never going to happen. Let's translate that into the national picture. If the word ministry gifts that God has given people in this country are not used or fanned into flame Might the word burn out and fail and not go out? Now, we immediately draw on a promise like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is true. But don't think like that. Don't leave it as somebody else. Fan it into flame. Use it. And we close with verse 7. Remember what we said about ministry being demanding and difficult? or costly. I mean, who'd want to be in Christian ministry in 2025 in the UK? Whether it's as a full-time elder or as a small group leader. Who'd want to say no to this and yes to that? And so we come to the encouragement of verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. How do we fan into flame the gift of God? We use the gift. We work at it with others. We pray for preachers, for pastors. We ask them to pray for us. But most important of all, through dependence of God. For God gave us a spirit. This is the indwelling Holy Spirit. You see the two brackets tonight. Verse 2. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and now the Holy Spirit within us. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why is he saying he didn't give us a spirit of fear? Timothy, 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 the envoy to Corinth, the envoy to, to, to Thessalonica. There's no one like him, says the apostle. Yet he's afraid. Not because he's timid, because he's normal. One of the things that I said at the uh, induction yesterday, uh, one or two of you have rumbled me uh, because you watched it online. I didn't know it was online. He said, I've never managed to convince the congregation at Chalmers how fearful and timid and clay-like and fragile and weak we ministers are. Oh, they don't think so because you stand up there with the gift of the gab There is not a single person who trains for ministry here who is secure and confident in themselves and in their character. If they were, that just wreaks havoc. We're afraid. I would be afraid to be a minister starting out now in the Western world. But God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of love, and of power, and of self-control. Power to strength to keep going. Power when you preach the word to change people. Love You will exercise your ministry loved by God. That is a felt, experienced love through the indwelling spirit. Knowing Jesus' love for you, experiencing his love will issue in love for people you serve, such that you would never stop preaching the word to them because you love them. And the Holy Spirit will give you self control self control to take time off when you should, self control. To work harder if you should. Self control, better translated as keep your head. Keep your head. Keep your head. Keep steady. Ministry is a very serious business. That is the tenor of the letter. Yet, independence of God, it is possible, not just possible, thoroughly so. It is worthwhile, not just worthwhile, not just worthwhile, 51 to 49%. It is immensely worthwhile. Joyful, yes, really wonderfully uh, joyful. In the past, preaching on 2 Timothy in our context, in our country, in our history, the application would be to a small number of people who would end up doing a job like me. But one of the things that's happened in the church in our day where the challenges that are vast is, is, is ministry amongst all of God's people. How many people in this church are engaged in word ministry, or will be many, many people. And let's pray that God will use this letter to help us all fan into flame the gifts that God has given us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this letter and pray that as we study it over these coming weeks, You would speak into all of our hearts, all of our lives. Help us, Lord, not to make the text see what it doesn't see. Help us to be open to whatever it is that you are calling us to do in our lives, and that will be different from us all. All of us in ministry of some form, many of us in word ministry, some full-time, others along with other work. You know exactly what you're doing, but we pray that we would be sensitive to and aware of the gifts you give us and use them and fan them into flame. And Lord, many of us are afraid. Fear, and trepidation is the daily walk, but you have given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So speak, we pray, over these coming weeks. And give us hearts to embrace and to respond. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.